That's a tall order to have everything in us. All that is within me give you praise. All, all that we adore in you. Make this so. Take our hearts and make this so, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. We're trying something different today, folks. Let me see if I can make the thing do. Yes, made the thing do. All right. No, it is not do. It is disconnected. All right, we'll try this again. <laughs> In theory, it's trying to reconnect. Oh, it broke. <laughs> so, learn something new every day. Uh, let me see if I can get this to do it again. It is because we switched, so it's going to sit here and argue about whether or not it's even connected. All right, so we're trying new things today, folks. While I sit here feeling dumb, and mm, slideshow, try again. It made noise. Hey, all right. Let's see if I can make this do that. Oh man, this is so close to functioning. Come on, do, do the thing, thing that works. <laughs> all right. <laughs> okay, all right. All right, sorry, the little victories. You know, it, it seemed like it was working, and then as soon as I try to do something, it doesn't work. So I'm sure you guys can all empathize when you think it's gonna do what you want it to do. So, we're trying something new. We're trying, I'm trying to run a PowerPoint while also reading from um, my manuscript. It's not really a manuscript. I call it a manu outline. So, go ahead and open up in your Bibles to Matthew chapter five. Um, our topic today is not an easy subject. It's something that if, uh, if I had my way, I would not have touched. I'm the person that does not actually like talking about things that are, that are difficult. Um, thank you, honey. She's texting me. The letters need to be bigger. Mm-hmm. Thanks. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> so... Um, <laughs> um, I know, I know, she's, she's going to give me a hard time. Maybe I'll get lunch. <laughs> anyway, but divorce is uh, something I may be featuring soon. Divorce is not an easy subject. Um, it, it's, it's something that I would rather avoid talking about. Uh, and I mean, there's really two lines of the spectrum, right? Either, either you're hard line um, and, and like the, somebody starts saying, you know, the word divorce and you come down with a hammer, and all you do is you beat that person into feeling horrible about even thinking about it. And then there's the other side where you just never talk about it. And I'm more on that side. I'd rather never talk about it, but thankfully, Jesus does talk about it, and I therefore do not have an excuse to not talk about it. But divorce is difficult, whether, whether you are a person who's gone through a divorce, or you're a child who has had to see divorce from that angle, 
or um, maybe you've witnessed divorce on the outside looking in, you know it's difficult, you know it's hard, you know it's painful. Um, and I want to set the precedent here that Jesus did not misspeak. He did not say something wrong in our passage today. And he didn't fly off the rails or, or, or say something he didn't actually intend to. Jesus does not speak unintentionally. He means what he says every time. And so these words today might convict us. They might evoke some emotions which cause us to become uncomfortable for a variety of reasons. Uh, whether we're, we've been divorced, we're currently married and having some sort of a struggle, because let's be honest, there's never not struggle. Or maybe we're currently unmarried. Jesus has something to say to us today in terms of the weight of responsibility of marriage and the effect of disruption in marriage. As we'll see, marriage means something to God, and that's why he says what we say today. So, Matthew 5, starting in verse 31, we're doing just two verses, Matthew 5, 31 and 32. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. And uh, now I'm the bad PowerPoint guy. I didn't even change my slides. It's, you can be the guy doing it and you get it wrong. All right. But this is the word of the Lord. Before, before I go on, notice where this text sits in terms of the actual order of, of things here. Uh, if you can think back a few weeks, you'll remember that Jesus has told us that being angry with our brother is committing murder in our hearts, that looking on another person lustfully is committing adultery in our hearts, and it's actually better for us to cut off an appendage or gouge out our eyes and live life crippled than it would be for us to spend a moment in hell. Now, Jesus moves from adultery of the heart, lust, right? Lust being adultery in the heart. He moves into the actual act of adultery. And take a quick note of how our Bible renders verse 31 when it starts, it was also said. The word also there is, is an actual word in, in the Greek. It could mean and, it could mean but, but it's not, it's, it's not going to mean but it was also said. But that word is there to drive us backward, to remember not just this little paragraph, as our Bibles have probably sectioned it out with, a, with maybe a subheading of divorce, but that word also is supposed to drive us backward, recognizing that these are linked thoughts, that the lust and divorce are actually part of the same whole. We're meant to read this section, section not out of place, like an aside, like maybe, maybe when you're reading a proverb and you, uh, there's, there's one thought and then there's thought two and then there's thought three and then there's thought four. Instead, we're supposed to read this together. We're supposed to read it as a continuation of thought. Um, so let me remind you that Jesus very brutally, in terms of his verbiage, says that we should be willing to fight temptation with so much strength 
so much vigor that we might even cut off our own hands or gouge out our eyes in order to resist the sin of adultery in our heart. We should desire to be so unstained that we might suffer in this life that we might live perfected in eternity with Christ. So, that is all part of the same thought process as we walk into these just two verses. Therefore, let's go ahead and examine some historical significance, maybe color the picture a little bit. Uh, Verse 31, we read, uh, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. Um, Look at that, I'm I'm changing the slides, there we go. All right, Jesus is referencing Deuteronomy 24. Uh, which, which, uh, what specific, well, verses one through four, but specifically he's referencing Deuteronomy 24, one, uh, where, where if actually, if you wouldn't mind in your Bibles, if you turn to Deuteronomy 24, you'll, you'll see, um, a, a strain of thought, but, but Deuteronomy in general is a series of laws that are disconnected, but kind of connected. So not like what we have here, but you might just run into maybe a theme that filters through. But Deuteronomy 24, 1 through 4, um, Jesus is referencing Deuteronomy 24, 1, which says, When a man takes a wife and marries her, if then she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand, and sends her out of his house, and she departs out of his house. That's exactly how it works. So easy, right? Write a certificate, give it to her, boom, she's gone. Sounds pretty easy. All you got to do is find that indecency in the woman that you've married, and you give her a writ of divorce, shove her out the door. But hold on a second, is that actually what this is talking about? Is that actually what this section is even talking about? Is it talking about the certificate? No. If we read on for, uh, for Deuteronomy 24, we find, uh, starting in verse 2, And if she goes and becomes another man's wife, and the later man hates her and writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hands and sends her out of her house, or if the latter man dies who took her to be his wife, then her former husband, who, uh, who, sorry, I lost my place. Then her former husband, who sent her away, may not take her again to be his wife. After she has been defiled, for that is an abomination before the Lord, and you shall not bring sin upon the land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance. So. In context of Deuteronomy 24, we, 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 we have a situation where this couple gets divorced, the lady leaves, she goes and finds another spouse, and then that person either dies or, or, or maybe, maybe he divorces her. She's not supposed to go back to husband number one. That's the actual point. The point is not the writ or the certificate of divorce. The point is that particular situation. And it's kind of a funky situation. Can we agree that that's kind of a funky situation? Um, so so here's, a, here's an illustration, right? Two people get married. Perhaps they have children. Maybe they don't, but they get divorced. Perhaps it was because she grew bored with her first husband. This is more of a modern 
modern situation. He wasn't really bad, but she just maybe, quote, didn't love him anymore. The woman goes off and marries another man. This new man, maybe, let's pretend this person is abusive. So she leaves him too. And because she realized that her first husband was better, she begins to try and pursue another marriage with that same man. That's a modern understanding or a modern situation that reflects Deuteronomy 24. Um, honestly, this, this woman shows some sinful problems in a myriad of ways, uh, but most importantly, re she's really just caring about herself uh, instead of being a good wife. And you could flip-flop that. You could make the man the problem, and the man leaves, and the man goes and marries someone else. And then he, comes, he realizes, actually, you know what, my first wife is good, so I'm going to go ahead and pursue marriage with, with my first wife again. No. No, that's not, it's not the way it's supposed to happen. Uh, we're told in Proverbs 5.18 to rejoice in the wife of your youth. So God's command for us who are married is this. Get married. Remain both faithful and happy in our marriage and serve and love our spouses. We're not supposed to get divorced. That is, that is what, I mean, Deuteronomy 24 is that almost sitcom level of crazy, right? In fact, actually, I think that was the narrative of Friends now that I think about it. Anyway, sorry, <laughs> I did not think about that when I wrote this. But, but Deuteronomy 24 is that crazy situation it's not talking about a certificate of divorce. That's not actually the point. The point is not the method. The, <laughs> the, the prescribed method is not, hey, you know what, you find an indecency, go ahead and write your wife a divorce, send her out of your house. That's not what the law is saying. However, that is what Jesus is referencing in Matthew chapter 5, because that's what people were doing in Jesus' time. It's not that different now, um, but what what had happened is is there 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 had been two primary schools of thought in the Pharisees of how to interpret Deuteronomy twenty four, uh, and they centered around a single word. This is this is how great church debates start: is a single word in a sentence, and these two schools of Pharisaical thought, right, were. Shammai and Hillel. Uh, Shammai taught that adultery was the only ground for divorce. Biblically, looking at the Old Testament, that was his exposition. Adultery is the only ground for divorce. Hillel was more liberal. He argued that essentially anything a wife did to displease her husband was ground for divorce. Because how, how do you define indecency? So that's where they struggled. That's where they sat. Um, <laughs> I, but, uh, so, the, so in Jesus' time, these two schools were arguing. By A.D. 200, so two, uh, the, the year 200, uh, that, that's when they completed the Mishnah. The Mishnah was essentially a commentary on the law. It was all the oral traditions passed down. It was uh, all the exposition of everything. Which of those two parties do you think won the debate, Shammai or Hillel? It was Hillel. Hillel became the standard. Uh, so I have a very lengthy quote 
from a guy who summarizes the Mishnah's rationale for divorces. I'm not going to read the whole quote, but it's in my notes. If you want to read it, um, I'd be happy to give it to you. So, so this scholar summarizes the Mishnah's reasons for divorce. The Mishnah stated that a, that a man could divorce his wife if she, if she were barren, if she became a deaf mute, or if she had epilepsy, tetanus, warts, or leprosy. Mishnah Ketubat 5.5 insisted that a man could divorce his wife if she failed to perform certain services in the home. If her husband considered her lazy, he had a prerogative to divorce her. Rabbinic law also stated that certain physical defects in the wife were so offensive that they were legitimate grounds for divorce. Consequently, a man could divorce his wife if she had a head, these are direct quotes, had a head that was wedge-shaped, turnip-shaped, hammer-shaped, I have no idea how that works, or if her head was otherwise malformed, such as sunk in or flat at the back. He could divorce his wife if she had poor posture, or if she had thinning hair. He could divorce her if she had no eyebrows, only one eyebrow, or bushy eyebrows. He could divorce her if she had a pug nose. Uh, the condition of her eyes was particularly important. If she had eyes too high or too low, if she were cross-eyed, had no eyelashes, had eyes of two different colors, watery eyes, or eyes as big as a calf or small as a goose. Any of these justified divorce. It goes on, man. This, I'm, I'm not even halfway through. I'm going to stop there. You get the, <laughs> the, 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 the point of it. So... <laughs> Uh, as you can see, our passage today does not agree with Hillel. Jesus is addressing something culturally specific, something happening during his time, but it's an eternal truth that he's addressing. Do you want me to define pug nose? Please don't make me define pug nose. <laughs> Hillel was a teacher during Jesus' time. Well, all right, so his, the school would have existed. Uh, these two particular schools would have been still debating at the time of Jesus. So chances are he was an old rabbi in the time of Jesus, and these were two, I mean, if you were a good rabbi, you ended up in Jerusalem. So they would have been still schools debating. Um, his actual existence is, is, is most likely uh, hard to nail down, like what years he lived, like specifically what year he died. Uh, Josephus, who's somebody we highly regard in terms of Christian history, Josephus was a well-known liar and, uh, and traitor to the Jewish people. <laughs> so we can't trust him, but he would have written about Hillel and Shammai. Um, yes, yes, the two thoughts. You had two arguing camps. So Jesus is siding more with Shammai in stating this. And even at the time, the people would have looked at Jesus and they would have gone, uh, yeah, so he's of the school of Shammai. But the, thing, the reality is that Jesus didn't go to, he didn't travel with rabbis in that way. So um, he wasn't of a school. 
because he was God. Anyway, uh, <laughs> so the, pro, the, the coming it back into our text in Matthew chapter 5, um, the problem that Jesus is facing is, a, is ultimately a devaluation or a devaluing of the union of marriage. Because God had so ordained it that man and woman, which are about as different as we can get, let's be clear, <laughs> um, both being human would unite in order to create a family. It takes man and woman. The woman made particularly, specially of, of man, with Eve, and the, the bone of his rib. Uh, and, and so man and woman are, are similar yet different. Their roles distinct, their parts distinct, their purposes distinct. And that's kind of a parenthesis, sorry, but by the way, the command be fruitful and multiply, multiply comes before the fall. Just making that, making that clear. Um, there's particular theologians out there who say that marital union, the physical aspect of it, is, uh, is a result of the fall, but it's not. God says be fruitful and multiply before the fall happens. So, amen. All right. <laughs> so, good thing. But God, God has and had such grand intentions for marriage, um, but people were essentially spitting on it with their actions. Going so far as to say, hey, I married this woman, but now her eyebrows are too bushy. I'm free to divorce her. It's an indecency. I can go find someone prettier. No. Jesus says no to that. In fact, he says, it, he says no so emphatically that he says that a man who divorces his wife, causing her to find uh, comfort in another man's arms, has made her into an adulteress. We're getting back into the text now. Sorry, go ahead and change back to Matthew chapter 5 if you uh, change pages. Um, but, oh, good. Good job. All right. <laughs> so... Look at Matthew 5.32. Believe it or not, we actually just addressed Matthew 5.31. So 5.32. Mm, let me actually go to the slide. Um, so Jesus says this, But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife... Um, look at the beginning of that verse. In reality, he's calling the man to step up. Men, hear these words of Jesus. Before we go on, hear these words of Jesus. Don't close your ears and make sure that you have other men hear this as well. Everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. That word that we've translated as make in 532, makes her commit adultery, is, is its own individual word in the Greek, which means something. It's actually the same word we would use for build or manufacture. Uh, if you were to craft a boat, build a deck, design, uh, design and fashion a mansion, whatever, this is the word. The word we would use is make, makes her into an adulteress. Friends, this is what a man does when he divorces his wife. Stay with me. Don't check out. But he makes her into an adulteress. 
The Bible has a lot to say about adultery, a lot to say about adulteresses, and none of them are good. This is the sin of men who have divorced their wives, causing them to seek comfort in another man's arms. They have made their former wives into adulteresses. You might think that I'm laboring this point. In fact, I am. But I want to be, as, I want to be clear in that as we continue. So, verse 32 also contains what we call the exception clause. Um, so, but I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. Sexual immorality here uh, is the Greek word porneia, from where we get the word pornography, which would be the watching of porneia. Um, so what sexual morality here means essentially the act of adultery would be the best way to think of it in terms of how, how we can keep this verse in our heads. So the exception here is usually thought of like this. Well, divorce is bad. Unless a spouse has committed adultery, then it's permissible. But that's not the image that Jesus is trying to create. Just, just a warning. Jesus is essentially saying this. Divorce causes either the woman to become an adulteress or she already is. So let's reread that, thinking about that picture. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. Makes her. Meaning either she's committed adultery or the husband divorces her and makes her commit adultery. That's the picture that Jesus is trying to present. Friends, adultery is not really a free pass out of marriage. I'm flying in the face of, of, of probably tons of, of Southern Baptist quick uh, statements. But, but if you're married, you are meant to stay married. Can we agree on that? All right. If you are married, you are meant to stay married. Um, I know there's tons of good reasons for marriages to dissolve. So as, as a little aside, uh, one such case would be the illustration I gave before where a spouse is abusive. Whether physically, whether verbally, whether emotionally, whether mentally, the fact that we have to qualify so many different ways of abuse is, is horrifying and sickening to me. And if, if, if a spouse is abusive, get out. Flee for your safety, for maybe your children's safety, but try to get counseling for the abusive spouse. Put them in a counselor's office, let him or her reconcile to their actions, and, 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 and they try to repent. And the reality is that in that case, often abusers don't. Uh, in, in that case, dissolving the marriage is really only finalizing what the, what the abuser has started. So a wife that's fleeing an abusive spouse, no reconciliation, no repentance, no change, no nothing, uh, 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 divorcing that particular spouse, whether male or female, because women can be abusive too, they've, al they've already divorced. All you're doing is leaving. So... I also have very strong words to any man, specifically, who abuses their wife. I have 
I, 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 I get so enraged about it. Um, and I'm trying to curtail that rage. Um, but but I, that, is, that is a situation that is abominable to myself and it's abominable to the Lord. But in that situation still, don't simply divorce your spouse. Don't just walk out. Walk a road that tries to lead them to repentance. Pray for them. Like last week, where you were told to love your enemies. Sometimes a spouse is an enemy. Probably more times than not, a spouse is an enemy. But, <laughs> but you know what I mean. Anyway, <laughs> but, but we're supposed to love our enemies. But in the case of an abuser, love at a distance. Love by fleeing. But going back to the text, like I said, adultery is not a free pass. That's not what Jesus is trying to say. It's not saying that this is your exemption, the, you know, the, 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 say the wife cheats on the husband or the husband cheats on the wife, and it's like, I am free. That is not what Christians should do. And we know that, actually, because of the end of verse 32. So let me read 32 again. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Um, oop. So before I, before I conclude, I, I, want, I, want to, I want to actually explain why divorce is bad in the first place, because that's kind of presumed. Divorce does bad things, and we should resist it, but um, the, reality, the reality is best expressed by, by the prophet Malachi. Uh, Malachi chapter 2, um, specifically in verse 15. I have it on the screen, so you don't need to turn there, but uh, let, let me read it. Did he, the Lord, not make them one with a portion of his spirit in their union? And what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. So guard yourselves in your spirit and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. Again, the wife of your youth just means the lady you married when you were young. That's, 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 what, the, that's what it's saying. It's, it's really talking about your, your, your first marriage. And to paint the picture, essentially what, what Israel was doing, and you can read Malachi 2, 10 to, I think it's 17, and see what's actually happening, but, but divorce is rampant. The Israelites are just, they're, they're, they're pulling a Hillel, and they're, they're, they're just divorcing willy-nilly, just because they can. And... So God is offering a condemnation on them because of this rampant divorce. Um, so so uh, the reality is that God hates divorce. God weeps over divorces. Why? Because he intends for his people to remain faithful to each other and thereby faithful to him. Um, God intends, so a, a, couple, a couple applications, a couple principles that we need to remember about marriage. God intends for his people to be blessed in the union of marriage. So Malachi 2.15, in marriage, God goes so far to say that he blesses the union with a portion of his spirit. How precious God must see 
the marriage of his people, that he puts a portion of himself in the midst of it. This really is a beautiful picture of God's joy in the covenant of marriage and giving the covenant of marriage and giving, giving man and woman together that he gives of himself in it. God also intends for his people to marry in order to raise up godly offspring. That's actually the, the exact point that, that is given in Malachi 2.15. And did you know that's God, God's intent for marriage? That's actually the purpose of a, of a Christian marriage, is to produce godly offspring. Lord, please help. Anyway. <laughs> but in divorced families, children are often forced to pick sides, aren't they? Or they're thrown from one parent to another, from one family to another. This disorder really makes it difficult to raise up godly offspring. You can't set up routines. You can't set up ways of training because ultimately what one spouse sees as good, the other spouse is going to rebel against. There is no good that they can agree on most of the time in divorces. But it's not impossible to raise up godly offspring in that circumstance, but it is sure hard. So first, God intends for his people to be blessed in the marital union. Second, God intends for his people to marry in order to raise up godly offspring. And three, God intends for us to be faithful to the wives of our youth. Friends, God intends us to be faithful to our wives. The wives of your youth means the ones that you married to first. So here's my final applications. If you're married... Be married. Easy enough. Stay married. Now it gets a little harder. Be faithful. Be married. Stay married. Be faithful. That's why divorce is bad. And certainly some of you have actually been divorced and remarried. Uh, maybe perhaps you're, di uh, you're divorced and your spouse has moved on to another man or passed away. What does this text have to say to you? Are you then supposed to divorce your current spouse and go chase after your last one? No. Deuteronomy 24. We just read that, guys. <laughs> That's, that, that, that is not what's supposed to happen. You are not supposed to divorce your current spouse and go chase after your last one because you have committed adultery. If you've been divorced and you're remarried, honestly, there is no prescription ever to divorce. In fact, it's the same command. If you're married, be married. Stay married, be faithful. Your wife may not be the wife of your youth. Your husband may not be the husband of your youth, but you are now married. So be faithful to that union. And in so doing, repent of your previous faithlessness or whatever happened, but repent of adultery by clinging then to the spouse that you have now. So when Jesus says this particular two-verse section of, uh, of, of what happens when divorce happens, remember, God hates divorce. He weeps over it. But it's not the unpardonable sin. It's not. You can repent by remaining faithful to him, faithful to your spouse, now, uh, 
in, in conclusion, just what we're looking forward to. Uh, this may seem like a really awkward place to pause a sermon series on the Sermon on the Mount, uh, but over the next few weeks, um, we're going to be discussing the church. Again, that may feel awkward. We're going to be discussing the, the church, not just our church, but the church. Uh, we're, we're going to be uh, going through Hosea in our Tuesday Bible study, I think. Are we doing that? Are we doing Hosea? Okay, good. Um, uh, which is actually a picture of God's relationship with his people corresponding to marriage. It's, it's, a, it's not an allegory. It's a, it's, it's a similar story, paradigm. Um, and that's actually where, why I'm pausing here is because Jesus is the groom to the church, his bride. And what I mean by that is actually 1 Corinthians 11.2, for I feel a divine jealousy for you, Paul writes to the Corinthians, since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. And that's the role of a pastor, is to take a congregation and present them to Jesus as a pure virgin, ready for, for marriage. Um, but we're actually going to pause and talk about the church because of our text today. Why? Good question. Because. Moving on. Just kidding. <laughs> uh, no, we're doing it because if Jesus is the church's husband, then Jesus is saying these two verses in the context of him, him thinking about how he would never force his wife to be an adulteress. Jesus would never divorce his bride. Jesus is the faithful and perfect and true husband. He takes the wife of his youth, which, if we read Hosea and we read about Gomer, Gomer's his wife. Gomer's an awful name for a wife. But Gomer's his wife, and Gomer is severely, severely faithless and in personality just ugly. And that's kind of how we are as the church at times. We're ugly. But Jesus takes us, the wife of his youth, knowing that if he were to divorce us, then he would cause us to be adulteresses. He would never leave us. Jesus is perfectly faithful to his bride, the church. What wonderful news that is. Um, so, in summary... That's the sermon summary. But in summary, divorce is a terrible thing. God hates it because it makes a wife into an adulteress, or it's in itself an act of adultery, and does not mirror his faithfulness, God's faithfulness to his own bride, the church. That's why it shouldn't be easy for Christians to divorce. Even now, even now, like I said, I know some of you are remarried. I even know some of the people watching online are remarried. So do not divorce your spouse. It is not what God wills. But, but be married, stay married, and be faithful. Because Jesus is married, he stays married, and he is faithful. Let's pray. Father, it's, it's weird in terms of terminology to think of ourselves as, 
as married to, to your son. It's weird, especially as a guy, to consider myself the bride, but, you know, that's the word you use, so I just got a deal. But I, I pray, Lord, that I would recognize your faithfulness. Lord Jesus, I pray that I would see your faithfulness as good news, as, as balm to my aching heart, as somebody who honestly is, is, is himself pretty ugly at times, and yet you don't abandon me. You would never leave me. Instead, you pursue me. You chase after me. You keep me, Lord. Father, I... I, I think about my own, my own wife, and I think about how I would never, never want to cause her to become an adulteress. I, I wouldn't want to divorce her for that. And I think of the people that I spoke with this week who have been divorced and told me their, their stories, Lord. I pray that there is, there, there is redemption because you are a God of redemption. And oftentimes a remarriage is, a, is an act of redemption in, in its own way. So Lord, I pray that you would you would bless us as a congregation to hold firm to our marriages, to, to not recommit or commit in the first place the act of adultery or cause each other to become adulterers. Be glorified in us, God. In Jesus' name, amen. We trust our faithful husband because he is faithful and worthy of our trust. We Serve him by remaining faithful and steadfast through times of trial, knowing that he is our provider, he's our sustainer, he is our God. Jesus is a wonderful husband, saints. Go in peace.